This episode of Arizona Spotlight is supported by Broadway in Tucson. For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, I'll talk with stand-up comedian and actor Fortune Feimster about her unique outlook on life. Tucsonan Lisa Guerin talks about her debut picture book for young readers. It's called Rosalind Looked Closer. And visit a new exhibit at the Stevens Gallery called Painting Out, Painting In. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. that I was gay and I had to tell my dad which was like really nerve-wracking because he doesn't like to have these deep conversations so I was like dad uh, I gotta tell you I'm gay and he was just like I okay okay well uh do you uh want to go buy you like a like a men's blazer or a, or a top hat. <laughs> I was like, do you think lesbians wear top hats? He's like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to connect the dots. <laughs> Turns out I learned everything I needed to know about being a lesbian in high school. We had a sex ed class for lesbians. It was called Woodshop. <laughs> Very handy class. That's just a small taste of comedian and actor Fortune Feimster. She's bringing her Hey Y'all stand-up comedy tour to the Fox Tucson Theater on September 11th. The first time I became aware of Fortune Feimster, it was because of her ice cream dances on YouTube. They're short videos taken all over the world, with Fortune improvising a surprising number of dance styles while enjoying some frozen treats. I wanted to ask her how that series got started. It started very simply. Uh, I went to Disneyland with uh, some friends of mine a couple years back, and I uh, got some ice cream. It was a really hot day, and the parade started going by, and all this music started playing. And I was standing there eating ice cream, and my friend recorded me. I didn't realize she was recording uh, me eating this ice cream and dancing and just not having a care in the world. And uh, she sent it to me, and I was like, oh, that's, that's funny. And I posted it, and so all these people were like, oh, my God, it's so fun to just dance and eat ice cream. And it just kind of became this thing where if I would go to a city, they'd be like, you got to try this ice cream shop. And so I started going to, like, the local ice cream spots, and I would do a little dance with the ice cream. And I just do it from time to time whenever uh, I want to brighten some days and eat some ice cream. Yeah. Where are you right now? Are you touring? Uh, Right now I'm in Toronto. I've been filming this uh, new Netflix series with Arnold Schwarzenegger for the last five months. So it's been wild being out here and doing the show. Uh, But we're wrapping up soon, and then I will be finishing up the last of this tour. I will be uh, back on the road with these shows in Tucson and Orlando and then finishing up the rest of it in October. And then um, at some point later this year, I'll have a new Netflix special coming out. And then it's all, all about writing that new act. 
Well, you know, you threw it out there pretty casually, but uh, what's it like working with Arnold? It's been really fun. I mean, he's been in this action world for many decades, so this is nothing new to him. Uh, but for me, I've never done an action series, so it's been really uh, wild and fun, long hours, but he's like such a pro, comes in, works all day, has the lion's share of work and just watching him be so good at his job is really inspiring. And uh, he's just an interesting guy. He has lots of stories. He knows lots of people. So it's always fun when he uh, holds court and, and tells you about some of these adventures from his his full life. <laughs> Have you made him laugh? Oh, yeah. we. <laughs> he has a great sense of humor. He's, he really loves comedy, and, and he he likes to tell jokes and and. You know, he's very quick-witted with his responses, so we're always cracking each other up. It's it's pretty fun to make him smile and laugh because he's got that serious action star face on, and then you get him to start cracking up. It's a good feeling. Yeah, I bet. Well, can you tell us the name of the series or what your role is? We don't have a name yet. Um, they're figuring that out. I play a CIA uh, officer. Uh, who is a mathematician and the sharpshooter um, <laughs> in this world. I know it seems crazy, but it's uh, basically Arnold and the woman who plays his daughter. Uh, they are both in the CIA and don't know that the, each other's in the CIA. Kind of, it's sort of a nod to his True Lives movie. Yeah, I um, But in the form of a, a TV series, this is his first ever TV series. So it's really cool to be a part of it. You're very calm about these things. Do you get starstruck? Can you remember an instance where you ever found yourself in a situation where you were starstruck? For sure. You know, meet people that I'm really a big admirer of. I mean, Carol Burnett being one of those people. Uh, I met her in person a long time ago, uh, but we interviewed her for our radio show that I do for Netflix and SiriusXM. And she talked to us for about 30 minutes, and I think I cried at the end of it. I was so touched. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> getting to talk to her. I think I'm I think I'm most captivated by people like her, people that are, you know, these legends who've been around and, you know, really made a mark in the business. Those are the people that I get starstruck by. Those those people who've influenced comedians like me. I was an entertainment journalist for seven years, so while I was pursuing comedy I was interviewing everybody known to man. Uh, <laughs> so I got to meet a lot of people and you just sort of I guess after a while, you just are like, oh, yeah, this, you know, this is just part of my job. Uh, but I definitely get starstruck around people. I mean, Arnold included, you know, he's he's a, a legend himself and uh, very iconic in, in his roles. And, you know, you're sitting there repeating his sayings to him, like, I'll be back. <laughs> you're, you're like, when people start having their own sayings that are world known, uh, that's definitely... Um, another level of success. Yeah, people who come with their own catchphrases. Yeah. Well, I watched you interview uh, Leslie Jordan uh, this morning mm-hmm. uh, on YouTube, and that was uh, that was really a joy. That was a pleasure. He, he was certainly a, oh, an easy you. interview, wasn't he? He's so lovely. I've known him for quite a few years just through this business, and he's always been so sweet and funny, and it was really cool to see him reach a whole other level during the quarantine like this whole new wave of people discovered him on instagram 
he just blew up. So it was really <laughs> cool to see him have this this kind of notoriety that he long deserved because I don't I mean, no one makes me laugh like him, but yeah, he's he's a trip and he's just who he is, you know, that's what I love. He's he's exactly what you see is what you get. And I love that authenticity of people just being themselves. And we're both Southern, so we'll, you know, talk about our roots and family life and it, it's very similar. When you're doing shows in the South, because you do get a lot of mileage out of telling stories about growing up in North Carolina, I mm-hmm. do you have to play things a little differently when you're in the South as opposed to, say, when you're doing comedy in Canada and you're doing your Southern material? I don't really change up my act very much based on the city. Um, I, I think that my stand-up is really transitioned into storytelling. So most of the things that I'm telling are stories that have happened to me uh, in my life, you know, obviously with creative liberties and embellishing it, you know, to make the the story part of it interesting and fun. And I find that at the root of those stories, um, even though it's my experience, there's a hopefully a relatability there, things that people can, you know, take from and be like, oh, I've been to something similar or my family's like that or my relationship's like that. I find that when you approach it from that angle, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're in the South or in Canada, uh, if you're telling stories that are sort of human-based and relatable, then, then people from all different walks of life can take something from that story and, and find a commonality in that. So the only time I change up anything is, say, if I were to go to, you know, overseas and they don't have certain restaurants or references, you kind of have to be like, well, what is the the similarity to that thing I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, what's the closest thing to an IHOP in France? Yeah, <laughs> like a Hooters restaurant or Chili's, you know, those kind of things. Or Fun Dip was one for my sweet and salty thing. I don't know if they have, I don't think they have Fun Dip over there. So I had to explain what it was. Fortune Feimster is appearing live at the Fox Tucson Theater next Thursday, September 11th. <laughs> My guest, Lisa Guerin, is a former librarian and teacher. She just had her first picture book for young readers published. It's called Rosalind Looked Closer, an unsung hero of molecular science. It's the biography of Rosalind Franklin, a woman pioneer in science known for photographing things on a molecular scale, including viruses and the DNA helix. Many of these things were never before seen. Franklin is also known for not receiving credit for her most profound discovery when two of her male colleagues were awarded the Nobel Prize in 1962. I asked Lisa Guerin to begin our interview by reading a passage from the book. Rosalind and her lab partner, Maurice Wilkins, studied the structure of DNA. DNA, or deoxyribonucleic acid, carries the blueprint instructions for life and determines how people or even plants will look or act. They took hundreds of pictures of the DNA molecule. Other scientists, mostly men, were working on the same thing in Europe and America. Everyone was trying to solve the puzzle of what DNA actually looked like. 
After two years, Rosalind got the perfect picture of DNA. It was labeled Photo 51, the 51st X-ray picture her lab had taken. Rosalind took a closer look at the photo. She saw an image of a helix made up of repeating strands of DNA. It was mesmerizing. This was what the DNA double helix model looked like up close. It was unlike any other image that had been seen before. Rosalind's heart soared. The first question I have is how did the story of Rosalind Franklin come to your attention? Well, as a children's librarian uh, back in New Jersey, I was always looking for more picture book biographies for kids who were into history and STEM or science, technology, engineering, and math. And I was especially interested in, in writing and finding stories about women who were unsung heroes, such as Rosalind. Do you remember hearing about the controversy over Crick and uh, Watson receiving the attention and the credit for Rosalind's discovery? I had uh, read about that years before, you know, in college, but I, I really didn't see too many science teachers teaching about Rosalind. It was always Watson and Crick and, you know, the men getting the credit. What sort of legacy does she have now? Starting in the early 2000s, there were two different schools named after Rosalind. One was King's College, one of her alma maters in London, and they opened a Franklin Wilkins building in her memory. And the other is the Chicago Medical School that was renamed the Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science in 2004. So she's really become more recognized in, in the last 20 years. At the beginning of the book, you look at her childhood and the influence that her parents' opinions about the world had on her. Um, what do you think is something that stands out to you that helped Rosalind Franklin to become the scientist that she wanted to be when she was small? When Rosalind was growing up in England in the 1930s, her family was very into nature, and her parents would take her and her younger siblings hiking in mountains uh, all over Europe. And she really got into photography. At a young age, she was given a camera, and that kind of links to her love of taking pictures, which later on helped her become a good crystallographer as she uh, learned a new art of X-ray diffraction and taking pictures with the camera. Well, what about encouragement she might have gotten from her parents? Rosalind really got a lot of encouragement from her mother. Her mother had wanted to go to college, and as a woman in the early 1900s was discouraged from doing so. So she really wanted her daughters to get a good education. And it was really all along her mom who encouraged her to go into science. In fact, her father really wanted her to be a social worker and do something more woman-like. There's a, a wonderful line in the book that you credit to Rosalind Franklin, and it says, science and everyday life cannot and should not be separated. That really speaks to me because I feel like even as technology becomes more and more used in our lives, the less people are understanding about science. And if we could bring science into our everyday lives, I think we would all benefit. What was your reaction when you read that, that phrase? Rosalind wrote this quote in a letter to her father in her early 20s, and it was a, a creed or a motto that she lived by for her entire short life. Uh, most of you might not know that she died at only 37 years old of ovarian cancer, and in her short life, science was everything to her. 
not only did she take the best picture ever of the DNA double helix, but she also worked with researching RNA in the 1950s in plant viruses, which ultimately helped doctors like Dr. Jonas Salk with the polio vaccine. So Rosalind Franklin's legacy really is a part of our everyday life. The foundation for DNA testing, which has saved countless lives. Yes, for sure. We had the children's book author Adam Rex on the show just a couple of weeks ago. And when he was talking about sort of some of the secrets of the industry that others don't understand when they're a new author, one of them was that the dirty little secret is often the writer and the illustrator never even meet. Was that the case with this book? And, and if so, what was your impression when you first saw the artwork? Uh, yes, just like with Adam, I didn't get to pick my illustrator. My publisher uh, picked an illustrator, and I'm more than happy with, with the gorgeous illustrations that Chiara Fideli did. Um, I really think she brings Rosalind's story to light. And she's an Italian illustrator who's done some beautiful work. In fact, I really want to give her a little plug. She has uh, a book that's coming out in November that is the story of Do Re Mi, written by Julie Andrews. Mm. And it's already a top seller uh, in the children's book world. Have you thought of the subject for your second book? Well, right now I'm, I'm out on submission with another nonfiction book about the Sonoran Desert. And I'm also working on a new biography about another unsung woman hero. I'm not going to give you her name, but uh, she is a suffragist who was on the level of Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, but really hasn't been recognized. So that's the kind of story I like to get out there to young kids. Lisa Guerin is the author of Rosalind Looked Closer, an unsung hero of molecular science. It's illustrated by Chiara Fideli and published by Beaming Books. The Sonoran Plain Air Painters are a fun and cooperative group who meet at outdoor spots in the city and the desert to paint pictures of what they find in real time. This requires them to work with the changing light and other environmental factors. A new exhibition at the Stevens Gallery at Sal Point High School features some of the group's best work, and I asked their president, Denise Fenelon, to give me a tour. We have 131 members in the overall group, and I'd say at any given time, there's 25 to 30 people sort of actively painting at our paintouts. We paint twice a week, officially. People meet other people that they can paint with, and that's a lot of subgroups for people get together on their own. Somebody lives near you because you're in Oro Valley, and they paint, so they go off and paint on their own, that kind of thing. So it's, it's a combination of uh, getting to meet new people and then also having friends to paint with when you want to go places so you're not like by yourself. Do you have primarily members who have some sort of artistic background, or do you get people sometimes who have maybe never painted a canvas before? Well, I think one of the things that has happened is because we're outdoor painting, people see us at, say, Sabino Canyon. And I have had people come up to me to say, do you give classes, or how do you start, or I'd like to paint. So I think it's 
for some people, it's a new way to experience nature. And so we do get people that are new to painting in general. But overall, I would say most of our members have already been painting or done painting or have done commercial art in the past. And maybe they're new to plein air painting, which is just really the outdoor thing as opposed to always working in a studio. Mm -hmm. uh, well, what is the name of the show that we're looking at right now? And about how large is it? Give our listeners a, a sense of the scale. We're at the Stevens Gallery. For, it's the new gallery that was uh, built uh, two years ago for South Point High part of their arts complex, $14 million they spent on the building, and they did a really nice new gallery here. And so we're one of the first shows that they're doing in here. We have 75 paintings, 35 artists, and the name of the show is called Painting In, Painting Out. This one's a little different than our just outdoor painting. We did allow people to go ahead and do uh, some studio paintings. So most of the ones that you see that are larger were probably started as a small study on site and then taken back to the studio. And it was traditional, I guess, originally that people would do a, what they called field studies in, you know, on location. The public really liked the freshness of the painting style and it's plein air kind of got going on its own just as people just would collect plein air paintings. And so that's, uh, Started up probably with the Impressionists being the most popular group. It's just blossomed as far as plein air painting for all over the states. There's plein air competitions and uh, people like to go see them and people like to watch you paint. Hi, my name is Bettina Fink and I am the co-director at the Stevens Gallery here at South Point. And I'm also the 2D art and design instructor for the high school. So tell me a little something about this gallery. Well, the ground was broken about uh, three years ago. Uh, they'd been planning for several years to fundraise for uh, the expansion of a and the creation of a center for the arts. Even during the high points of the pandemic, and we were all teaching, we were all here at school, um, the building was still being constructed. So it's only been this year and maybe last semester semester where we felt like everything is kind of complete and it's finished. What do you think about the importance of having this particular show at this gallery? Well, part of our mission here at the gallery is to work with the community and to offer the public an opportunity to see the work of local artists. And so that's what excites me about having this show. I'm a plein air painter myself, and so I'm drawn to this kind of subject matter. I think it's important for people to realize that there are so many painters doing this kind of work here in Tucson. And it's also lovely to see all the different scenes and buildings, especially in the old barrios that, um, you know, are like from a bygone era to um, have these up on the walls. What would you say is special about plein air painting? Why does it appeal to you as an artist to go out there and, and sometimes stand under the hot sun and yeah. do this kind of work? It can be very uncomfortable. There can be a lot of bugs. There can be a lot of heat. There can be weather. But what I love about it is that the experience of communing with nature, that is the big kick that I get out of it. The light changes every second. So to capture the light is extremely difficult, but I enjoy going to remote places here in the you know, environment around Tucson, but also in other Western states. Um, it's like communing. I'm Pete Farrow with the Sonoran Plein Air Painters. I've been with the group eight years. What brought you to this group? 
a love of painting and then the excitement and the challenge of being able to go outside and capture something fleeting. I love being outdoors. And then the challenge of being outdoors and capturing a scene while the light is changing and the conditions are changing. I like that sense of being driven to be creative in a limited time. What paints do you use? I'm an oil painter. I like painting architecture, so I most often paint north or south of downtown Tucson in the old barrios. I love the colors that are there. I love the regularity of the hand-built buildings. Mm -hmm. And so I really like working with those. My style is, uh, tends to be bold. Um, I've been told that uh, my paintings remind people of Edward Hopper's work, which I feel complimented by. I really like to capture some special moment in the light. I definitely get into a state of what would be called flow, mm -hmm. where I'm totally focused on what I'm doing. You tend to lose track of what's happening right around you. You're not thinking about anything else. You're just focusing on capturing the moment as quickly as you can. To what degree would you say that there's social interaction uh, between the painters who gather for these excursions? We often will meet after a painting session and everyone will gather around, we'll bring their paintings, everyone will set their paintings up in front of the group and we'll have conversation about what makes a painting a good strong painting, what might be needed for a painting to be stronger, what's a given focal point, what was the artist's intention. There's quite a bit of exchange that happens. And so during painting, not so social, after painting, yeah, it's pretty social. Denise, I think that I'm really realizing how plein air painting captures local flavor. There's really a sense of Tucson here, places that look familiar to me, and also desert landscape that looks familiar to me. Well, it does. And I think one of the things that's when you're painting outdoors is it's one thing to drive by someplace in a car. You zip past and you look out the window and you just get this little impression. And now if you're actually standing out in the wild or standing on a street corner and observing what you see it's amazing all the things that you take in that you start to notice and things that you didn't see when you first got there but you notice it later when you're out in the wilds you see animals that come up to you because you're so quiet because you're focused on your painting so it's not like you're traipsing through the landscape and they just kind of come upon you and and you're not doing anything really so yeah a lot of people have had deer come up to them really close and, you know, think they want to paint with you or something almost. I spoke with Denise Finelon and Pete Farrow from the Sonoran Plein Air Painters and Bettina Fink, director of the Stevens Gallery at South Point Catholic High School. The exhibit Painting Out, Painting In is on display through October 12th. The public is invited to a reception from 5 to 7 p.m. on Saturday, October 1st at the Stevens Gallery. Information about other plein air art that's on display is on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's news director is Christopher Conover. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Production assistance by Leah Britton. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore. Thank you to Broadway in Tucson for their support of Arizona Spotlight.